Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. So I have a couple questions to ask you this morning. Have you ever left your house during this COVID uh, crisis that they talk about and uh, gotten to a store, stopped in the parking lot, gotten out of the car, headed toward the door and suddenly remembered, oh no, I forgot my mask. Yeah, me too. That's happened to me. Have you... Uh, Have you found yourself asking people to repeat what they've said to you time and time again because you really don't understand mask Latin or pig Latin through the mask, whatever they're talking? I don't understand it half the time. Is that happening to you? It's happening to me quite a bit. So I confess that's happened more than a few times. How about this? Have you found yourself almost strangulated for air? I'm looking at you while I'm talking, wishing that you could just breathe freely Especially when you come into church service on a Sunday morning? Yeah, yeah, me too. How about this one? Do you wonder if the masks that have been forced upon us are coming as a conspiracy by government officials in preparation for an upcoming election? I'm not going to confess whether I think that or not because I'm a pastor and this is not a political campaign. But I will say there are funny things happening. Somebody said to me not too long ago that this will not be solved by a vaccination, this is going to be solved by an election. I tend to believe some of that. This morning, because there are so many negative things that are happening with a mask, I'd like to try, biblically, to turn a negative into a positive. And so very intentionally, I've asked you to open your Bible with me to Psalm 19, as this morning we seek to turn a negative, the wearing of a mask, into a positive, the accomplishing of a godly purpose the accomplishing of a godly purpose, that perhaps a mask can remind us of this. Psalm 19, the 14th verse. I'm going to ask you to read it aloud with me, please. All right, here we go. Psalm 19, the 14th verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I want to talk today about the terror of the tongue with this specific purpose, that every time we put on a mask, this verse touches our hearts. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word this morning. Father, we pray that the simplicity of this truth would be drilled home into our hearts, that with our words we can praise thee, and with our words we can bring condemnation And so, Lord, help us to be accountable for our words, and may this particular season in our lives and in the life of our country remind us of the importance of giving to you control over our tongue, that we might please you in all our days. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to say the 14th verse once again with me, please. Psalm 19, verse 14. Here we go. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Psalm 19 is a psalm of David. In Acts 13 and verse 22, we are told that David was a man with God's own heart. In other words, David's values, David's goals, David's aspiration was to please the Lord. I trust that's your desire, that's your goal, your aspiration is to live to please the Lord. And so let me recommend to you this 14th verse. For indeed, David in 
Psalm 19 and verse 14 is reflecting a value that God loves. He has a goal that's a godly goal. His aspiration is to be pleased, pleasing to the Lord. And so this prayer he offers, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. When you put your face mask on, and we have to right now just about everywhere we go, let the Spirit of God allow the wearing of a face mask to accomplish a godly purpose. Put on your face mask and pray that the Lord will allow your words to please Him. Radio commentator Paul Harvey told the story of four newspaper reporters from Denver, Colorado, who met together in 1899 to tear down the Great Wall of China, literally. The four met by chance on a Saturday evening in Denver's railway station. Al Stevens, Jack Tournay, John Lewis, and Hal Wilshire were all reporters from various newspapers around the Denver area at the time. One was a reporter for the Denver Post, another a reporter for the Times, another for the Republican, and another for the Rocky Mountain News. Each had been sent by the desk manager to go out and find a story in preparation for the Sunday morning newspaper. And so they all converged at the railroad station hoping that a celebrity would come through, that they'd have the opportunity to interview a celebrity in preparation for that deadline that had been placed upon them. Well, no celebrity showed up. The four forlorn, news, forlorn newsmen looked around thinking, well, I have nothing to share. And for them, no news was bad news. They kind of put their heads together as they regretted that no celebrity had gotten off the train. And Al declared that he was going to make up a story. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That he'd participate in some fake news. Someone else suggested that they ought to go down to the Oxford Hotel and get a drink. and Maybe they could think of some things together. They got to the Oxford Hotel and they were sharing a drink together and it wasn't a soda. Jack said he liked Al's idea about faking a story. Maybe each of them could fake a story and get off the hook. John said that Jack was thinking too small. John said four half-baked ideas don't make a lot of sense. Maybe if we put our heads together and do something sensational, it'll go over a little bit better. Al said, well, you know, if we do something about a domestic story, the sources will be too close at hand for anybody to check. And so it'd probably be better for us to do something international. And so it was that uh, the recommendation came forward. Maybe we should do something about China. <laughs> what can we do about China? John leaned forward at the table and gesturing dramatically in the dim light there of the barroom scene, he said, okay, try this one. A group of American engineers stopped over in Denver on their way to China. They're involved in making plans to tear down the Great Wall, and they want to win the bid for the job. Hal was kind of skeptical. Well, why, why would the Chinese want to destroy the symbol of their nation, he inquired. And the answer was given well, John said. They're tearing down that ancient wall. And when they tear down the ancient wall, they're tearing down a boundary that symbolizes their unwillingness to be open to free trade. <laughs> they all thought, you know, that's not bad. 
Let's try that one on. So by 11 o'clock that evening, the four reporters had worked out the details of their preposterous story. They'd had one last drink and they went on their way and they all put their stories in. And as they put their stories in, they, they had one last thought. You know, we need to tell the hotel desk clerk. In fact, let's just sign in at the desk clerk's um, signature book in fake names and then tell the desk clerk that if anybody shows up and asks, were there four men here last night, they can say yes, and those four men were interviewed by us. With that in mind, they put in the stories, and as they put in the stories, the headlines came out. In fact, the Denver Times headline read this, Great Chinese Wall Doomed, Peking Seeks World Trade. Of course, the story was a phony, but it was taken seriously. In fact, it was picked up by Eastern newspapers, and from Eastern newspapers, it spread it spread to the Chinese themselves. The Chinese were upset enough that their national monument was in jeopardy, that some extremists in a particular secret society set off some bombs and incendiaries. They rampaged in their community and slaughtered hundreds of people. Two months went by and 12,000 troops were sent to China. Six countries joined forces. They were there to protect their own fellow citizens and by now you perhaps are realizing that as Paul Harvey would put it together, the Boxer Rebellion actually began with a fake news story in a bar room in Denver, Colorado. Now, whether Paul Harvey's story is true or not, you can check the details on it, I know this. The substance of what he shared and what was shared with regard to the establishment of the Boxer Rebellion has some truth to it because words have power. Your words have power. My words have power. Proverbs 18 says in verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. This morning, as I said, I'd like us to turn a negative into a positive, a negative. Nobody likes wearing a face mask. A positive, wouldn't it be wonderful if every believer representing the Lord Jesus Christ and Colonial Hills Baptist Church when putting on a face mask would actually pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. James was the half-brother of the Savior, the Lord Jesus. As the half-brother of Jesus, James, who came to be known as James the Just, or Old Camel Knees because of his pattern of praying in the temple, provides for us a very practical book filled with wisdom that is shared under his same name. I'm going to ask you to turn there this morning to the book of James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Every pastor comes to learn that words have power. No pastor has ever understood this more than Pastor James. After all, it was words of accusation that would take the life of Stephen in Jerusalem. The church's first martyr was accused, sentenced, and died by the words of others. We're opening our Bibles to James chapter 3, and in James chapter 3, we find that James portrays the tongue as a terrorist. James 3 contains some of the most convicting exposition with regard to the tongue that can be found anywhere, in any writing, in any literature, sacred or modern. James, in James chapter 3, exposes the intrinsic power of the tongue. He weaves together six graphic illustrations in order to profile the world's tiniest terrorist. Two of those illustrations are found here in James 3, verses 3 and 4. Follow along, please, as I read. 
Look what he says. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. We turn about their whole body. Behold also we put, behold also rather the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listed. James says the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's like the rudder beneath a great ship. Now a horse is a marvelously strong animal filled with awesome power. Even today we measure the strength of a combustion engine by saying it has, for instance, 400 horsepower. A horse is capable of carrying 25% of its body weight with relative ease. So a 1,500-pound horse can carry a 300-pound man on a day-long journey. That same horse unharnessed can cover a quarter mile in about 25 seconds. A horse is an awesomely strong animal. Yet a little 100-pound jockey or rider can put a bit in the horse's mouth and make that horse dance under his power. James says, even so, your tongue... Your tongue is tremendously power, powerful. He uses another illustration. He says it's kind of like a ship. No doubt James had gone over to Caesarea by the sea. He's seen the great ancient ships that sailed the Mediterranean. The Apostle Paul would board such a ship in Acts chapter 27 with 275 other people. That's a big ship. Perhaps James had seen one of those ships in dry dock and had been able to peer underneath and seen how small that rudder was that could control that ship in the sea. James weaves together these illustrations to come to this conclusion in verse 5. The tongue is a little member and it boasteth great things. Your tongue is three or four inches long. It weighs about 2.5 to 3 ounces. It's comprised of eight muscles. Your tongue is small but never underestimate the power of the tongue. Your tongue has the power to encourage and the power to discourage. Your tongue has the power to bless and the power to destroy. Your tongue has the power to preach and the power to blaspheme. A vicious word, some say it's like an assassin's bullet. Even a whisper can cause a victim to shudder. So beware Jesus says in Matthew 12 and verse 36 that every idle word that we speak we'll give account of in the day of judgment. There's great wisdom in considering carefully the tremendous strength of the tongue, the influence of the tongue. With a word, crucify, crucify. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, was placed upon the cross of Calvary for your sins and mine. Words make a great difference. English people teach their children a nursery rhyme that's well for us to consider as well. It says, I said a very naughty word only the other day. It was a truly naughty word I had not meant to say. But then it was not really lost when from my lips it flew. My little brother picked it up, and now he says it too. James is focusing on the intrinsic power of the tongue, and he's focusing in verses 5 and 6 on the incendiary power of the tongue. Verses 5 and 6, Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and is set on fire, and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. We all know it only takes a small spark to bring about massive destruction. 
When people speak of massive destruction, they frequently illustrate with the fire that happened in Chicago. When Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over that lantern in the barn at 9 p.m. that October evening, way back in 1871, before the fire was over, three and a half miles of Chicago had been burned. Over 100,000 people had been left without a home. 25 had died. A terrible disaster. James says, when you think about the disaster of a fire, think about your tongue. Because your tongue has incendiary power. It has greater power than the flickering of any red flame. And I think it's well for us to be reminded. I know it's well for me to be reminded when I put on a mask, hidden behind that mask is a torch. Hidden behind that mask is a torch that can do great harm or a source of blessing. And to be able to pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer is the better part of wisdom. Don't be a spiritual arsonist. In verse 6, James warns that the tongue has the power to corrupt the whole body. A single syllable, ill-placed, can bring about devastating results. Jesus would say in Matthew 15 and verse 11, it's not that which goeth into the mouth that defileth man, but that which cometh out of the mouth. That's what defiles a man. So can I ask you a question? What comes out of your mouth? Are you a gossip? The flames of gossip have scorched and destroyed many innocent victims. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, Ephesians reminds us in chapter 5 and verse 29. In recent years, there's been a lot of attention on what we used to call schoolyard bullies. But schoolyard bullies have become cyber bullies, and the cyber bullies don't have to have very big bodies like the old schoolyard bullies used to have. Just a simple word, ill-placed in a wrong conversation. The gossip that destroys others. Proverbs reminds us in chapter 20 and verse 19, meddle not with him which flattereth with his words. How about flattery? Are you a flatterer? Say, uh, what's a flatterer? Someone's defined flattery this way. Flattery is gossip that is said to a person's face that you would never say behind their back. Do you trade an innuendo? Does the cadence of your word and the slight tone of your word cause corruption in conversation? You know, we tease about Eastern languages being tonal. The English language is very tonal. With just a tone, you can tear someone up. You can take the word oh, and you can register disgust. Oh. Anger, oh! Happiness, oh! Surprise, oh! All kinds of tonal thoughts that are being given in our language. And even so, we need to be careful, especially if you find yourself to be a critic. Colossians 4 says, let your speech be always with grace. In James chapter 3, in this very practical book of the New Testament, we're being taught of the intrinsic power of the tongue, the incendiary power of the tongue, and the irrepressible power of the tongue. Recently, our family went to SeaWorld. We saw the orca whales doing amazing things at the commands of their trainers. Some of you 
I've been to shows where you've seen lions, the king of the beast, prancing about and doing exactly what they were trained to do. Still others perhaps have had the thrill of going to a foreign country like India and seeing a cobra kiss its trainer. But you'll never meet a man and you'll never meet a woman who can tame the tongue by his own power. That's what we discover in verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and birds and serpents, the things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed to mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. There are those in this room today who have, by God's grace, been given the power to escape alcoholism. There are those in this room today who have been been given by the grace of God the the spirit of power to escape drug addiction. There are those in this room this morning who have found the grace of God sufficient to keep you from looking at wrong things on computer screens. What about this one? What about power over speech and words that are destructive? This passage tells us that no man has that kind of power. And so today we learn to depend on the power of God. You know, the CDC says projectiles, when we speak, can cause others to become sick. Invisible droplets can spread the coronavirus. James warns of something far more deadly. He warns about verbal venom, that your words may be filled actually with toxic slander or blasphemy or bitterness. James wants us all to understand the intrinsic power of the tongue and the incendiary power of the tongue, the irrepressible power of the tongue, so we can understand also how inconsistent the power of the tongue. Now, James was a pastor in Jerusalem. He had observed church members up close and personal. He had heard how they filled the air of the church room with joy and filled the air outside the church, perhaps, with anything but. And so in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, he says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. It seems like the Jewish Christians there in the church that James pastored had a pattern that they carried over from Old Testament times. You see in verse 9, therewith bless we God, even the Father. The Old Testament Jews, when they heard any name of God shared, would always repeat after that name of God, blessed be he. Perhaps it was in the church in Jerusalem when the names of God were shared, they carried this over and they blessed God in the conversation of the assembly. But when they went out from the assembly, things changed. Those who spoke so piously at church were something different in private. Take your Bibles with me for a moment and turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, the 12th chapter. The Gospel of Matthew, the 12th chapter. Every time you put on your corona covering, pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I honestly believe that if we become patterned to do that, God may use that in bringing about a great revival. 
There's nothing more important for the believer in interacting with others than understanding the power of the tongue. So put on a face mask and pray that your words will please God. Four newsmen in 1899 ignited quite a stir and quite a controversy. The tongue, after all, is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. Your Christian life begins with your words. Romans chapter 10 reminds us in verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A person is saved, and that salvation opens the tongue to confess the greatness of Christ and the wickedness of our own sin, and to understand that he died in our place. But the Christian life continues in sanctification as we yield our words to the Lord. Proverbs 15 says in verse 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Even through a face mask, God can give you the power to share a testimony that can bring someone else to Jesus Christ. It's said that the average person speaks some 30,000 words a day, enough to fill a small book. Look what Jesus says to those of us who are filling small books every day in verse 33 of Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.